It's falling from the clouds A strange and lovely sound I hear it in the thunder and the rain It's ringing in the skies Like cannons in the night A music of the universe plays Singing you are holy Great and mighty The moon and the stars Milky Way Let's join it with the sound Come on, let's sing it out It's the music of the universe play We're singing You are holy Great and mighty The moon and the stars Declare who you are
to Welcome to Sunrise Church. My name's Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here at our Hillsborough campus. I'm so glad you're joining us, even though the weather outside is kind of cold and we got snow on the ground. Um, even though the doors are closed this weekend, God is still on the move and he's working and he's using Sunrise and he's using the people part of Sunrise to advance his kingdom. And so one of the things I wanted to share with you about what's coming up is our Connect class on Saturday, January 21st from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Our doors are going to open at 8.30 and we'll have pastries and coffee available to you. But one of the big things we encourage you to do is come to this. Even if you've only been here for a week, maybe you've been here for many years at Sunrise. This is our discipleship pathway. This is the first of four classes we're putting on. We'll have a grow class, a serve class, a lead class, but this one's our connect class. This is the first step in the discipleship pathway. And Pastor James is going to teach us what it means to connect in the intimacy with God and others. And so we're just kind of saying, hey, come and check us out. Come see the DNA of Sunrise alive and in action and why we do what we do and why we believe what we believe 
in accordance with the gospel. And so if you're interested in coming to this event, I encourage you to go to our website at isunrise.com. And on the top there, there's going to be an orange bar with information on the class, but there's going to be a link that says register here. So click that, go through the little process of registering so we know you'll be there. And we look forward to having you at the class with us. If you go a little bit further down on that homepage, you're going to have an option for the connection card. And this is just a way for us to connect with you and know who's coming in this church and checking out what we've got going on. If you've got a prayer request, you got a praise request, you got some, something going on in your life you want to share with us, please fill that out. We want to know you. We want, to, we want to enter into a relationship with you and connect with you and see what's going on in your lives. And so with that said, I'd encourage you to fill it out and we'll continue with our weekend message. The best movies and books often have endings that you didn't see coming. I think the most surprising endings are the ones that fit everything up to the point of the story, but you don't really see it coming until the whole movie's over. Uh, think about uh, some wonderful theater from years gone by. William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. What a beautiful love story. Here you have a young man, a young woman. They love each other. They're torn between their love for each other and their loyalty to their families. And the tension is that their families are mortal enemies of each other. And these two young starstruck lovers cannot possibly work this out on their own. Of course, we know the story ends with this great plan for them to be together for the rest of their lives. And yet it ends up being a tragedy because they both die in the end. There's a surprising twist to fate. And once you've seen or read Romeo and Juliet, it's beautiful and you wouldn't change a thing. Or more recently, uh, how about uh, Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings trilogy? I love that. As a middle school student, it was all about Middle Earth and the perils of this growing threat of an evil lord who wanted to enslave everyone. And the unlikeliest of characters rise up and they form a fellowship to break the spell of this evil ring. And throughout the three books, people flee, people fight, people die. And finally, the one ring is destroyed and peace comes across the land. Or for you non-readers and more modern people, how about Rogue One, a Star Wars story? I love that. For 40 years, I have known that the plans of the Death Star would get into the hands of the rebellion, but none of us knew how it would happen. And so we watched this, and I have to warn you, spoilers are ahead. The journey takes turn after turn. Characters find hope. They find life's purpose. And ultimately, in a beautiful stroke, they all find death. But the Death Star plans are handed to the princess. Now, in each of these stories, you can see the ending, but you don't know how it's going to work its way out. There's confusion, there's hopelessness, disappointment along the way. And then the end comes and it all ties itself together in this last moment. When I think about these stories, the surprising ending, you always see clearly once it's all over and you look back and you wouldn't change a thing. But I think about that in the same story with Jesus. Have you ever thought about it? Jesus is born in poverty. He comes on the scene with crowds adoring him. He does miracles. He heals. He teaches. Everybody loves him. The crowds swell. But he comes in peace. And he's ultimately handed over because he won't go to war and take back the kingdom. Jesus dies. Everyone's hopes are dashed. People are confused. They're hiding. They're in sorrow. They're in darkness. Now, if you just stop the story there, nothing makes sense. But when all is hopeless, Jesus rises again. And he commissions you and me to go out and continue the mission that he started at making disciples. My friends, Jesus lived a countercultural life. He preached a countercultural message and he died with a major plot twist. 
One day he's coming again and everything's going to fit together. And so you and I live in the tension of that Jesus of the past and the Jesus of the future. Today is an exciting day because with this message, we actually begin to see the rest of Matthew's gospel playing out the very end. Chapter 21 of Matthew begins with the final story chapter of Jesus' life as we see him enter into Jerusalem to spend the last few days of his life. So today we're going to see Matthew 21 verses 1 to 11. It says, as Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Now, Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. And as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now, this is pretty fascinating. I know we've seen it before, Palm Sunday. But Jesus' entry has several Jewish cultural moments that must be understood. First of all, Jesus rides in on a donkey's colt. What's the cultural significance of that? Well, from the prophet Zechariah, which we just saw some of it. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now, what's the whole deal with the donkey's colt? What's up with this, right? In ancient times, a colt was a symbol of peace, but a horse was a symbol of war. This means that when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a colt, he was telling everyone that he had come not to bring a sword, but to bring peace. What a contrast. Here's Jesus, the King, the Messiah. He's arrived not on a victorious white stallion, like an army general or with the pomp and circumstance of an earthly king. He's a king, yet he comes on this humble beast of burden. I mean, what a perfect, beautiful picture of his entire life, all wrapped up on Jesus riding on this donkey. Now, the rabbis of Jesus' day, they endlessly debated the way in which the Messiah would come to Israel. Now, a familiar quote to them, not to us, from the Jewish Talmud illustrates two different ways the people thought the Messiah might appear. So this is kind of cool. Check this out. And behold, one like a son of man, speaking of Messiah, came with the clouds of heaven, as it is written, humble and riding on a donkey. If they merit, he will come with the clouds of heaven. If they do not merit, he will come humble riding on a donkey. Even the Jewish people of Jesus' day understood that the Jewish nation might not be ready to receive the Messiah, the one that God was bringing. And if he was ready, if everybody was ready, they'd come in the clouds. And if not, he'd come on a donkey. Here in this passage, they admit that they may not be ready for the coming of the Messiah, which is exactly how the story plays out. Now, everything in their heart was for God to send a Messiah who would take up the throne as king and take up a sword and reclaim their land, their heritage, their fame. But Jesus did not come to bring a sword. Jesus came to bring a cross. The text goes on and says the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt. And he, Jesus, sat on it. It's kind of comical when you think about it. Jesus, a full grown man sitting on the colt of a donkey. 
It says most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of them, him, and others cut branches from the trees, those were palm branches, and spread them on the road. Now, as we saw last weekend when Jesus was in Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, in ancient customs, when dignitaries, important people would come into a city, all the people and the leaders would go out and meet this person to welcome him or her, to honor them into the city. But notice what happened when Jesus entered Jerusalem. The people went out to welcome Jesus, but the leaders stayed back and they ended up complaining about the welcome that Jesus was receiving. It says Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting. Now notice this, praise God or Hosanna for the son of David, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, praise God or Hosanna in the highest heavens. Now, one of the Jewish holidays that became a political statement for the zealots, the Jewish zealots that took up the sword, was a holiday called Sukkot. We know it as the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles from the Old Testament. Now, people would go out and they would set up a tent and they'd live in a tent for the week. And that was a reminder that they once lived in tents in the desert for 40 years under Moses. So at Sukkot, people would wave palm branches, symbolizing the victory of the Jews over their oppressors. And so the palm branch became a nationalistic symbol for the Jewish zealots, those who wanted to overthrow the Romans above them. History reveals that there were even times when the Romans made palm branch waving a punishment deserving of crucifixion. Imagine that. Because the palm branch meant we will overthrow you. At Sukkot, the people would chant the words of Psalm 18, where it says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they would follow it with the phrase, Hoshana, 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 which means save us now. Hoshia, which means save us, and na means please or right now. So when the people would shout Hosanna, it was a nationalistic cry for God to rise up, overthrow their enemies, set the Messiah up, and free his people. You can just imagine the energy of this crowd as they're anticipating Jesus as he's going to ride into the city. What would he do on a stallion and take over, set himself up as king? They had waited their entire lives for something like this. And now with anticipation, Jesus is going to come and do it. Well, he comes in on a donkey, though, and it doesn't quite match up. Now, I don't know how much Jewish history you're familiar with, but did you know that this similar event happened almost 200 years before Jesus' day? It's, it's called the Maccabean Revolt. It was about 160 years B.C., so about 190 years before Jesus came in. The Maccabean Revolt happened because the Greeks, who came before the Romans, had taken over the land of Israel and had forced the people to convert from their faith of Judaism to the many gods of the Greek culture. Now, many of the people just went right along with whatever the crowd was doing and ended up worshiping the false gods. After all, the Greeks had brought a lot of really cool cultural things into the cities, some modern, progressive ideas and buildings and structures. But some of the Jews fought back and they resisted the compromise with the Greeks. They were the faithful, zealot Jews. A man named Mattathias was a ruler of his community and the Greek forces came into his village. And history tells us that he forced everyone, that the general forced everyone to eat eat poor, convert to the Greek culture. And a lot of people did this, but Matthias, Mattathias refused. And he killed both the general and those in the community that actually did eat the pork. His son, Judas Maccabeus, joined in the fight and killed the Greek general. He cut off the general's head and used the general's sword in all of the following battles. Now he won battle after battle as he pressed his way into the capital city, Jerusalem. And when he entered the city, all the people 
arrived out front, welcoming him, waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he entered Jerusalem and he went to the temple and cleaned it out. And they celebrated Hanukkah, the festival of lights. It sounds familiar because next week we're going to see Jesus clean the temple just like Judas Maccabeus did. Well, we get back to the story. It says the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, let's not forget that Matthew was a Jew writing to Jews. We've seen all these weeks in this study that he throws in this little Jewish culture that would have been meaningful to the people of his day. Did you know the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey? was Sunday of the week that Jesus would be crucified. We call it Palm Sunday. It was the Sunday before Passover festival was about to begin. And Jesus came to Jerusalem from all over the Rome. The Jews came from Jerusalem, all over the Roman world. And during this week-long celebration, they wanted to remember the great exodus from Egypt. Many in the crowds had heard or had seen Jesus and were hoping that he would come to the temple. And they were excited to see him come in. The question is, could he be the Messiah? What would they see? Would they see a Messiah with a sword? Would he pull the sword out and take over the nation and free God's people? That's what they wanted with all their hearts. Now, in the tradition of the preparation for the Passover, as Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, the priests of Israel were choosing the one lamb for Passover that represented the entire nation of Israel. And according to the specifications laid out in the Old Testament, the lamb had to be inspected to ensure that there were no defects, that there were no impurities, there were no broken bones. I mean, this had to be the perfect lamb. And the inspection took almost the entire week as the priests had to make sure it was the most perfect lamb for the slaughter to represent the entire nation. I think it's amazing that Jesus came into Jerusalem on the exact day the lamb was chosen. Not only that, the Bible says Jesus then died on the exact day the lamb was sacrificed at the exact moment for the nation. John's prophecy about Jesus came true. Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, my friends, Jesus went into Jerusalem that day knowing he was going to lay down his life for you and for me. He went to the cross to take away our sins. If you've never, ever thought about this, think about it. Jesus invites you and me to repent of our sins and turn to him. Because if not, this story doesn't really make a lot of sense. Because everything in our world is about power. It's about the sword. But Jesus came in weakness. And he defeated the powers of hell and death when he died on the cross. You know, Jesus chose a peaceful entrance into Jerusalem. He controlled the crowd's enthusiasm by his actions. He accepted their celebration and joy and their worship. But he recognized their reception of him was based on their false desires and assumptions. Jesus arrived as a king, but not the way the crowd wanted it. All the people could see and all that they really wanted was an immediate need. And they cried out to God and they thought Jesus was the answer. They wanted a political Messiah. Someone to come and take care of the physical bondage. To come in with power and might. Jesus disappointed them greatly. In fact, within days, that same crowd would cry out, crucify him. Because Jesus came as a savior Messiah to take care of their spiritual bondage. His people couldn't see beyond their own desperate, desperate situation. While Jesus saw the entire world as a bond to sin and hostage to that empty sin of our lives. You know what I mean? We do this. You and me do this. We, We reduce God when we demand his attention on our concerns. 
Of course, God wants us to bring our daily needs to him. But God is not our own private God. Don't treat him like a house idol or a village God of the Old Testament. Jesus, when we do that, fails our expectations. My friends, Jesus certainly wants to meet our needs, but he doesn't do it with the greatness and timing of our lives in mind, but all about him. Could it be that you're limiting God because you assume he wants to meet your expectations your way? What if God has other plans? Other things that you don't even know about? What if the story of your life played out different than you planned? What, it, what would it be like? Would you accept the twists and turns knowing that it's all according to God's plan? If the story doesn't play out the way you wanted it to, are you going to try to twist God's arm to have him meet your plans and expectations? My friends, if you do that, I guarantee you will be disappointed with God. You'll be disappointed with your life because he will fail you because that's not what God does. So my question for you is, what are you seeking today? Are you seeking a sword? The world loves the sword. Or are you seeking the cross? It's one of the two. When your life doesn't work out, do you reach for power? Or do you reach to serve? Which one do you bring to your life? (laughs) Are you known as that sword guy? You chop people's ears off. That sword woman. When people think of you, do they see a tender and gentle, loving Jesus as shown in the cross? When in conflict, do you power up, you get out your sword, or do you power down and do you serve? Jesus came to bring the cross. Sadly, the church for too often has reached for the sword and in doing so has completely lost the message of Jesus. All you have to do is think about the many times in church history when the church has totally messed this up. And we assumed a position of power over people. And we actually forced people to believe in Jesus. Friends, that's the, that's the sword. That's not the way of Jesus. Jesus never forced himself upon anyone. He'll never force himself upon you. Instead, Jesus comes and he wins you with his love. It's not by power and might that Jesus' kingdom will come into your life and in your community. Make no mistake. One day Jesus will come and he'll bring a sword. But until then, you and I mirror the very heartbeat of Jesus for the people around us. When we lay down the sword and we hold solely on to the cross. When we lay down our lives and we pick up a cross, we die to our own desires, our own needs, our own wants, and we look to other people. So what are you reaching for today? A sword or a cross? Do you want power over people? I know it feels good. Jesus wants to invite you to serve people and love people. Let's pray together. Father, as I hold this small cross in my hands, it reminds me um, of just the, the weakness. And what the world would say was the impotence of Jesus' entry. And the foolishness of the people hoping in Jesus when he just went and died for them. But although the twists and turns of the story seem to result in a crash and in a roadblock, everything changed when the pages turned and he rose again. And all of a sudden it made sense. And now the picture of the cross is a symbol that we wear around our necks. We put on our, our churches. We put as symbols as tattoos, as bumper stickers. Because now this symbol of a cross is not just about death. It's about a brand new life. And so I pray that those watching, those listening, 
uh, would think about it, would consider what they reach for. Was it for power? Is it for control? If it's for desire over people? That's the sword. Jesus died to that. But he came in weakness and humility, humbly serving us. That's the cross. God caused our hearts to be pierced when we reach for a sword this week with our friendships, our conversations, our relationships, our emails, our phone calls, at work, at school. If we reach for the sword and try to win and beat other people down, Lord, that's not the way of Jesus. The world needs to see the way of Jesus fleshed out in us. That's the way of the cross where we humble ourselves and we serve just like Jesus served. And we define the needs that are around us and we stop our own important, powerful moments and lay our swords down and we go pick up a cross and love someone. God, give us encounters this week where we really understand what it's like to pick up the cross and to die to our own desires so that we can live for what you want for us. We pray in your name. I want to thank you for uh, watching this. Um, normally at this time, we uh, receive an offering and we, we do a few things with communion. And, and so I'm hoping you can receive communion at home or maybe in your small group this week. If you'd like to give, we have a link on our website. It's just upper right corner. It says give. In fact, it actually takes you to uh, one of the five sites, the buttons there, to your own campus. I want to thank you for just really tuning in this weekend. We want to close with a song. took these 
Oh, 